Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. He had a decision to make. As a family, they had just made the most radical decision they had ever made in their lives. But now, as a father and a husband, he was faced with another decision. And what has to be the gain in order for you to choose homelessness for your family? They were choosing to give up everything, to move to a new land, and they had no idea how they were going to make it. But this was the dream, wasn't it? This is new potential, new opportunity that uh, they never would have realized where they came from. But now he struggles just to get a job and to provide for his family because he doesn't speak the language of the land. And he looked into his young son's dark brown eyes and brushed his hair out of his face. This was hard. But he knew that they were making the right decision. Because see, when you speak to an eyewitness of a man who was dead and isn't dead anymore, and when that man who was dead but isn't dead anymore says, follow me, what other choice do you have? You follow him. And so he sat at night watching out for his family, racking his brain for, for answers. How could he possibly take care of his family? And as the sun rose in the east, a man approached, and he told him that all of his needs were met. He had nothing to worry about. Because see, as the church began to explode into existence, those who had experienced the radical generosity of Jesus began to show the radical generosity of Jesus. At the start of the book of Acts in the New Testament, there's a religious festival that's being celebrated, and it's called the Festival of Weeks. Uh, You probably might know it as Pentecost. And people traveled from all over for this. This was harvest season. Uh, and, and for those of you who are farmers, you know, this is when you get paid. This is when you can afford to travel. This is when you have the money to take your family to a new experience. And, and so they traveled together for Pentecost, for the Festival of Weeks. And this is when Jesus chose to launch his church. And it grew at an unprecedented rate. But it didn't grow without its problems. Many families who had converted to Christianity would have had to give up everything from home. But the church stepped up and supplied those needs in a huge way. And so, now we're going to camp out in Acts chapter 5 this morning. But before we, got, before we get there, we have to look at the tail end of Acts chapter 4 and pick up some of those pieces for us to really get the context. Otherwise, Acts chapter 5 is just going to be really confusing. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32. 
And it says here, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And now, we, we understand that, right? We have everything in common. All right, well, most of you didn't say anything, so I guess we're at least on the same page. And then it says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's a lot of stuff happening here, but it's really important that we understand this to be able to move into the next portion of the text in chapter 5. They had, starting with, they had all things in common. This actually starts back in Acts chapter 2, but it continues developing. It's this idea of of everyone having the same thing in common because this starts with putting all of us on level ground. And the church had a realization that we are all made in the image of God, right? We have that in common. And when you start to see people as souls, instead of seeing people for everything else that's going on in their lives, suddenly we start to have some more things in common, right? When I realize that you are made in the image of God just the same as I am made in the image of God, and that's the root of who we are, suddenly we have a lot more in common. But the church had moved from just this understanding of everyone on this equal ground to now they were living it out. Now they were practicing living out what it meant for each of us to be uh, having everything in common. What does it look like for us all to live out people who are made in the image of God? And the reality is that nobody in the church was willing to see another person who needed more than they did. They couldn't bear the thought of somebody being in a position of need that they weren't in. And so that's the thing about the kingdom of God. That's the thing about the early church. There's no envy. There's no power grabs. People are simply living in ways that are best lived to grow the church and to love others. And then the next thing that we underline in that text, the apostles were still giving their testimonies. See, we also have to remember that the church is more than just a social service. We will always do everything that we can to love people as well as we can possibly love them. But at the end of the day, the amount that we love them isn't going to have lasting life impact. Jesus brings lasting life impact. And so the apostles never lost their focus. As, as they were providing, as, as they were doing things in the community, as they were bringing people uh, to this place, the apostles continued pouring out the message of Jesus. They continued with their testimony of the resurrection of this man who was dead but is now alive. And listen, I know a lot of us struggle with this because a lot of us just, we don't feel like we're really theologians and, and everything else. And I encourage you, keep diving deeper into your Bible. Learn more about the Word of God. It's, it's a crazy experience. But listen, right here, right now, you have your testimony. 
you know how Jesus has impacted your life. And that's your first step. And then after that, it said that there was not a needy person among them. Uh, the, the rest of the church, those are the apostles, the leaders in the church, pouring out the message of Jesus. The rest of the church was actively involved in living in a manner that would be described as being the hands and feet of Jesus. As the apostles taught, the rest of the church did. And listen, I mean, you guys have some phenomenal pastors on staff here, except for me. And, uh, but, but listen, we're just a small group of people. There's so many more of you. The impact that can be done by you, church, is greater than the impact that any of us could ever reach on our own. And remember that, that Jesus gave his apostles the instruction in John 13 to love one another as he had loved them. In the story, Jesus had just washed his apostles' feet, and then he told them, a new commandment that I'm giving you. Love one another as I have just loved you. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And so this is where we really see the church start to press into this teaching of Jesus. This is where we see the church take this teaching seriously, and they are pouring out, they're loving in every way that they know how to love. And what's happening to the church? It's exploding. In just a couple of chapters, we read about 5,000 people being added to the church just like that unprecedented growth because the church is being fueled by generosity. It's being fueled by people going out of their way to make sure that there's no one worse off than themselves. And this is how we live out the commandment of Jesus to love one another. And the last thing that we saw in that first portion was the way that they laid it at the feet of the apostles. This is the heart of generosity it's this ownership versus manager mentality, right? And by that, what I mean is that we often see ourselves as owners of our lives and, and the things that we have, when in reality, we should really be seeing ourselves just as managers. All of these things belong to God. The breath that you're breathing every few seconds belongs to God. It's borrowed. The, the children that you've been given actually belong to God. They're just borrowed. The house that you live in actually belongs to God. It's just borrowed. And so we do everything in our power to recognize that I am not the owner of this. I'm just a manager. And so I lay it at the feet of Jesus because it all belongs to you. And so what happens with my kids, with my home, with my breath? Well, that's up to King Jesus. And so those who are living generously were emptying their possessions and completely turning over ownership. Because listen, once it's turned over to the apostles, they give no thought to it. It's not theirs anymore. They don't have a reason to give thought to it. They trust that who they've given it over to can take better care of it than even they could. And then we come to this crazy passage in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, and some of you are already like, you know this story, and you're like, no, this is Sunday school. You're not supposed to do this on Sunday morning. I don't want, listen, it'll be okay. I didn't want to preach it either. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so at face value, this doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? I mean, it probably seems a little deceptive, but not inherently evil or anything like that. Sketchy, but not dark and twisted, right? I mean, we wouldn't put this in the same category as some other atrocities that we've known and seen. We wouldn't put, like, these guys who kept some of their possessions and put them in the same category as murderers who were going out and, and doing that sort of thing, right? But the problem is the heart behind all of this. I mean, look, right at the beginning, it says that he and his wife both sold the property, okay? They were both, they're on the same page. They know what they're doing. Then it says that he and his wife both knew how much money they had made, and they decided anyway to keep some of it. And so, remember how just a moment ago, we read about a man named Joseph who laid his possessions at the feet of the apostles? Okay, one person. Guys, it wasn't that long ago, okay? I don't have time to go back to that. And now we read this here, and it looks so similar. It, it looks, I mean, you can striking similarities between these two stories, but there are some extreme differences that are happening in this passage. See, when Joseph laid his possessions at the feet of the apostles, he was letting go of all of it. When Ananias did it, he was never actually letting go at all. He gave the illusion that he was all in, but he still had a clenched fist behind his back. And some of us can resonate with that. And see, it may very well be that Ananias and Sapphira, they saw the respect that was given to uh, these Christians who were selling everything and giving it away. And, and I mean, of course, people were excited about those kind of people. They were applauding those kind of people. They respected those kind of people. And Ananias and Sapphira may have looked at this whole situation and said, I want some of that, right? I mean, some of us ever been there? All right, first service was a bunch of good Christians, so I don't know what's going on with you guys, but... But see, the problem is that in Christianity, there's not room for power grabs. All of the power, all of the respect, all of the authority, it all belongs to King Jesus. And that's why it's so important for us to lay it all at his feet. Because we're declaring him the owner instead of ourselves. And then we keep moving in Acts chapter 5 verse 3 and it says this, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, now in the Greek here, that little phrase, keep back, okay, uh, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so this is a, a fairly rare phrase, but it only has a negative connotation, all right? It's only used in a bad way. This isn't talking about keeping back, like I went I went out and I bought 10 things, and I gave you five things, and I kept back five things, right? This exclusively is used to refer to theft. So this is more like you went out and you bought 10 things, and you kept five things, and I kept back five things. That's what this is talking about. That's the weight behind this. This is a love of money issue. And James specifically warned us that the love of money is the root of all evil. 
When you love money, it will drive you to hurt people. When you love money, it will drive you to manipulate people. When you love money, it will drive you to make decisions that you otherwise never would have made in your life. When you love money, you become more important than anything else in this world, and the suffering of anything else is okay as long as you get your money. And see, we don't think about it that way. It doesn't feel that way. We feel justified. But that's still the reality. That's still the way it works. And so essentially, the actions of Ananias spoke to the complete giving over of his possessions to God, for God used them however he would like, but his actions behind the scenes told a different story. His actions behind the scenes were a clenched fist. They told the story of a man who didn't actually trust God, who loved money more than God, who didn't believe that God could or would supply his needs. That's why this is such a big deal. And then this story takes a crazy turn. And Peter completes his confrontation of Ananias, and he falls down dead. And then later, Ananias' wife comes in. She has no idea what's happened. And Peter gives her the same opportunity. She comes in, she tells the same lie as Ananias, and she falls down dead. And it says that following that, we're told that fear came over the whole church. That can resonate with us, right? I mean, like if that happened here, I would probably be scared and maybe go to another church too because there's some wild stuff going on right now. But listen, I I, want to make something clear here. This isn't just about money. This isn't just about possessions. This isn't just about materials. This is about your relationship with God. And these are two individuals who boldface lied to the Holy Spirit. And God is working on purifying his church and sending her into the world to be his hands and feet. And if there's corruption going on, what's going to happen when they go into new places? That corruption is going to keep pouring out. It's going to make its way into other places. This is like going back to Old Testament law. And when you read about all the different purity laws, it's super exciting. Read the book of Leviticus. Uh, but what happens is you've got an unpure person and you've got a pure person. And when they touch, what happens? They're both impure, right? The pure person doesn't make the impure person pure. Impurity only breeds more impurity. And so if there's corruption within the church that's going to leak out into the communities, then it's obvious that God needs to deal with this issue. And it's obvious that God is going to do the work in his church that he needs to to deal with it. And listen, I know, I know it still seems so harsh. This still seems like such a crazy story. But there are a couple of things that you've got to understand. One is that these people stole from God. Their possessions were God's. They were good gifts from a good God, but at the end of the day, were managers, not owners. And Ananias and Sapphira were clearly willing to steal from God and then lie to him. It's actually remarkably similar to the sin story in the book of Genesis. And if you're not familiar with that story, don't worry, I got you. Uh, Adam and Eve, the first people that God made, God told them, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, or you will surely die, right? 
But here's what happened. Eve starts talking to a snake. Bad idea. Highly recommend against it. Zero out of ten stars. And uh, she looks at this tree, and she sees that it was good to eat. She sees that it's pleasing to the eye, and she wanted it. So she took it. And then she lied to God by not taking responsibility for her actions and blaming the serpent. And then Ananias and Sapphira decided that they could define good and bad on their own terms. And so they saw the compensation for the property, and they saw that it was good to take. They saw that it was pleasing to the eye. So they took it, and then they lied to God about it. And what was the promise of God in the garden? If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. This is just God being just. This is God being consistent. This is God setting a guideline and holding that standard. But second is to remember that God is as much justice as he is love, right? We like to take God and put him in this little love box, right, where, where there's just bubbly and fuzzy feelings, and God makes us feel good all the time because he's love and that's great and good and all the fun stuff, right? He just makes us smile so much. And, but here's the, here's the reality. Love and justice cannot exist outside of each other. And we know this, right, because you go to the grocery store and you see that parent with her little kid who's taking the, the wooden spoon that they're going to purchase and the kid's going over and smacking the cashier with it and the parent's just watching it happen and you're like, what is wrong with you? Don't you even love your kid? Right? Because love and justice are inseparable. But listen, there's consequences for our wrong actions, right? Right? Okay. Thank you. Thought I lost you for a second. And so listen, I've got a two-year-old, and the reason that I know that she's two is because she's at this age where we can talk and communicate and everything, except she can't actually listen. And so if, if my two-year-old daughter were to punch her seven-month-old brother, are there consequences? Yeah, okay. Now, if that same two-year-old daughter were to punch my wife, do the consequences change? Ooh. Now, what if that kid comes back and they punch dad? You think if dad's the one, the disciplinarian, the consequences change? Uh. Okay, okay, let me, let me take it a little bit further for you. She turns 18, she's growing up, right? She gets pulled over. The officer's on the way to the car. She opens her door, turns around, slugs the officer. Do the consequences change? Okay, now you're getting it. Here we go. She keeps getting older. She gets into the military. She punches her commanding officer. Do the consequences change? And we keep climbing the ladder. We get to the general. We get to the president. We keep going up. The consequences are directly related to the level of authority that you're dealing with. And so we get to this good, perfect, holy, king of kings and lord of lords, the God who is above all. And now what do we do with these consequences? And we know that the consequences change. Because Jesus didn't have to go pick a switch, right? Jesus went to the cross. Because the consequences, when you sin against a good, perfect, holy God, are bigger consequences. And so I, I was listening to a story the other day, a, uh, a dad who told a story about taking his kids to Chuck E. Cheese, and 
Uh, he would always take his kids to Chuck E. Cheese, and they'd go, he'd get a cup of tokens, right? They got all the, the Chuck E. Cheese tokens, he'd get this cup, but he doesn't trust the cup. Because you can just you can take the cup, you can set it down while your kids are playing, and then you forget about it, and you lose the tokens, and those tokens are way too expensive, and you know something might happen, the kids might knock the cup over, and they roll, and they fall into the games and everything else. So he doesn't trust the cup. He, takes, he pours the tokens out into his hand, he sticks them into his pocket. And then as his kids want to play the games, he reaches in his pocket, grabs a token, drops the token in the game, they play the game, right? Kid wants to play another game, reach in the pocket, grab a token, drop it in the game. Well, now he's going to Chuck E. Cheese with just his son. And so he gives his son the hookup. They each get a cup. They each have their cup of tokens, right? And he takes 10 tokens from his own cup and drops them in to his son's cup. And now uh, these are his responsibility. He's got to take care of these tokens, but we're going to go play some games, right? So they go, they play the first game. They knock it out. They have fun. They go and they play the second game. They knock it out. They're having fun. They go and they play the third game. They knock it out. And then his dad's like, hey, what, what about this game over here? No, I don't think so, dad. Okay, well, well, what about this game here? No, not that one, dad. Okay, well, this game's like, Caribbean pirate ship, and you get to shoot people and stuff. Like, let's play that one. As, no, not that one, Dad. All right, all right, I got it. This game has aliens, right? I mean, how, let's play this again. No, I don't, I don't want to, Dad. So what in the world is going on? So he, he takes his son, he pulls him aside, and they go, and they sit down on a bench, and he looks at his son, and he's like, hey, hey man, what's going on? Are you okay? Yeah. And he says, hey, you, you wanted to come play all the games, right? And now you're not playing the games. So I'm just, yeah. Well, why? And his son looks down at his cup full of tokens and goes, Dad, I just want to keep these. What? You, you want to, what do you mean? Yeah, Dad, I just want to take these home. Well, why? Dad, these are gold. No, son, they're not gold. He's like, yeah, look. No, no, son, those are Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Do you have any idea what those have been? Don't put those in your mouth. Okay, look, look. There's a picture of a rat on this, okay? It's not about the gold. It's about the rat. And these are only good in the rat's house, See, when you leave the rat's house, these hold no value anymore. Some of you are starting to catch it now, right? So, so what do you do with these? You take the tokens, you put them in the game, you play the game, you win the prize. And the prize, you get to take home, right? That's the whole point. You take the token, put it in the game, play the game, win the prize, take the prize home. So son... When these leave the rat's house, they're no good anymore. So what do you want to do with them? I think I want to keep them, Dad. <laughs> That's when you stop buying kids tokens and you just go by yourself. <laughs> but listen, listen. This is the whole reason that we're here. The whole reason that we exist. L let me explain something very clearly to you. You can take it with you as long as you know what it is. And the only thing that you will ever touch in this life that's eternal are people and the mission of God. 
And Ananias and Sapphira were so invested in themselves that they had forgotten about people and the mission of God. Their own comfort trumped the well-being of other people who were made in the image of God. Listen, if, if we were to look at this from God's perspective, if you had a child and that child was hurting, the child was in need, the child was in pain, and someone had all the necessary means to solve all of your kids' problems, and that person walks by you, reaches into their pocket, and flicks a penny at your kid and says, good luck, kid. Are you going to be happy about the penny? No, you're going to be furious. You, you had the means to do something, and you were so self-absorbed that, that you just gave us a penny? What do you mean? You could have actually done some good. You could have helped my kid. But you were too focused on yourself. You'd be furious. You, you wouldn't care about the penny. You wouldn't be feeling good about the penny. And that's what this story is really about. That's the lie that Ananias and Sapphira told the Holy Spirit. That's the weight that we have to grapple with in this story. So what does this mean for us? This means that each one of us needs to take a really hard look at our lives. Listen, I think we all know that we can be better in some areas. We're always trying to get better, to do more, to be better. But what areas of improvement actually matter? What, what areas actually have eternal value? What areas can you take with you? And what areas of your life are you still prioritizing yourself even it means the suffering of someone less fortunate than you. And I think that if, if you're being honest with yourself, there's probably an area in your life that God is speaking to you about right now. You're probably trying to justify yourself, but listen, don't get caught lying to God. And if you do, do it over there in case he misses, okay? <laughs> listen, some of you are actively holding something behind your back. And there's an opportunity for you to give. We're trying to give you an opportunity with what's going on in Porterville. We're trying to give you an opportunity to pour into something that has eternal value, to give you an opportunity for something that you can take with you to reach this community and brand new ways and to expand the church and to use your gifts in ways that will bring uh, honor and glory to God. But you're struggling to trust God. But listen, if there's anything that I've learned about Jesus, it's that he is generous. It's that he is enough. It's that he is trustworthy. It's that he is plentiful. It's that he is overflowing. It's that he is everything that I have ever needed over and over and over again. And some of us are still struggling to accept if he'll still take care of you. If he is generous enough. If you can make it if this is the right decision. And the reason that you're in that position is because you have failed to realize that God loves you far more than you could ever love yourself. As tight as we hold our lives in our hands, we have to understand that those lives are far more valuable to God than they even are to ourselves. And yet, we struggle. And yet, we have problems, and yet we don't trust. We all do this, and we're just fortunate that God is, is far more merciful than we deserve. But listen, let me tell you this. Jump. 
trust the Spirit. He's never let me down, and I've made some wild decisions. If God is speaking to you, just listen to him. And sometimes you're struggling because the reality is that what he's calling you to is scarier than what you're prepared for. But that's the whole point. He's calling you to jump because that's the only way that he can catch you. And so again, we're giving you an opportunity. You're you're not obligated to anything yet. Even if you come to the meeting, you're not obligated to anything. We'll give you the opportunity to just show up to a meeting March 11th, 6.30 p.m. I still didn't see you guys writing it down during the announcement, so here we go again. And And I'll cast some vision for you. And listen, all I'm asking is for you to be open. And if God tells you that this isn't for you, great. We don't want you there anyway. And listen, first service thought I was being mean. No, in reality, I just want you to be where God is calling you. And if he calls you to Porterville, I am beyond excited to do that with you. But if he's calling you to stay here and work, then I am beyond excited for you to stay here and work. All I'm asking is for you to be open. And Jesus said that it would be our love for one another that would cause the whole world to know that we are his followers. And listen, I don't want to freak anybody out who came here brand new. You're just checking out this whole Christianity thing. Let me, let me make sure you understand that you can belong before you believe. And, and, and I'm not up here telling you that you need to sell all your possessions and give them to the church. No, we don't want you to do that, okay? That would be crazy. But listen, for those of us who call ourselves, ourselves Christ followers, for those of us who not only believe in the historical figure who is Jesus, but we believe that he is the Son of God, that he did die on a cross, that he did rise from that grave three days later, we're called to a different standard. We're called to follow Christ at all costs. And, and here's the thing. We serve a generous God. We serve an overflowing God. We serve an abundant God, and that puts us in a unique position of generosity that allows us to pour out generosity to everyone around us without ever having fear of running out because the well that we drink from will never run dry because he will keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring. And so as Christians, we're generous. We have a tremendous opportunity to be generous. It's our opportunity to prove that God is good, that he is love, that he is generous, and that his goodness, love, and generosity is spilling out into our lives in ways that we have to share that goodness with the world. So don't get me wrong. This story isn't about uh, how God will punish you if you do something wrong. The Bible is not about how God will punish you for doing something wrong. There, There are consequences. God is just. We believe that. But the whole story is about a good God who is redeeming his people back to himself. It's what he's willing to do in spite of us. And this story is a reminder to us that the church was in a position where everyone had everything in common and God was working to continue cultivating that kind of environment to allow the church to continue to thrive and to see breakthrough. And church, listen to me. I fully, 100% believe that we are gearing up to see a breakthrough. And God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for uh, each of the people who showed up to worship in your presence this morning. And we ask that that you would uh, just pull at our hearts. 
that you would convict each of us, that you would draw us closer into your presence, and that you would wash away all of the filth, all of the dirt, all of the grime of our lives, and just that we could be spotless in your presence, God. We ask that you would lead us into lives of generosity, that we would come to you with open hands, expressing that it is all yours, that we trust you because we know that you love us more than we even love ourselves. God, be with us in everything that we do. Be with us as we move forward as a church. And we give you all the honor, glory, and the praise. And we love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Have a good week.